Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 17. John, chapter number 17. While you are turning, um, I want you to give me just a few minutes, if you would, to um, kind of get you caught up with what we're going to do today. What we're going to do this morning is a little bit differently, different than what we normally do on Sunday morning, so I trust you'll give grace. Um, we'll be back to normal maybe next Sunday morning, whatever normal is around here. But... Um, I want to give today what we're calling a State of the Church Address. Most of you know that every year the President of the United States goes before both houses of Congress and he gets the Supreme Court justices together and they broadcast this State of the Union Address on television. And the idea is that the President lets people know where the country has been and where the country is going and most of the time it's just a, a great big, you know, um, policy parade and most of us... Just find something else to watch, you know. The State of the Union address is just a great big interruption to our regularly scheduled programming. Well, I've made it a custom since I've been a pastor to try to, once a year, do a State of the Church address just to talk to our church family and say, here's where we are as a church family and here's where we are going, and I want to try and do that this morning. And I think today is a good day to do that for two reasons. First of all, you may not realize this, but this is right at the beginning of a new church year. Uh, for whatever reason, known only to the Lord Jesus, the church year starts in September. Maybe because um, school starts back around September and the idea is a new Sunday school year needs to start when a new school year starts. I'm not sure. Maybe we just have to wait until after Labor Day to make sure everybody comes back from vacation and we actually have a church. And maybe that's the way it is. Um, so we're starting a new church year. You can always just remember basically that when football starts back, the church year is going to start also. That's kind of the way it works. Second, uh, the reason I think it's a good day to do this today is because we're swiftly approaching uh, my one-year anniversary as a pastor at Sharon Heights. If my math is correct, that'll be two weeks from today. And for me, it has been an incredible year. You have loved our family. You've loved me. It's been a fantastic year for me. Um, the only complaint that I would have, some of y'all thinking, all right, now it's getting ready to get good. The only complaint that I would have is that it's gone by too fast. I look back over the last year and think, what in the world happened? Because it seems like uh, just a few weeks ago we were closing on a house, and then Tuesday we found out Amy was pregnant, and now here we are. It's like, what, you know, what, what have we done the past year? But it's been a great year. Um, I've had a blast, and I, I want to say to some of you, I want to say to all of you, thank you for giving me a chance. I know that many of you had some great apprehensions about me becoming your pastor. You did not keep that a secret nearly as well as you thought you did. And... <laughs> I hope that I've only I hope that I've only disappointed you half as much as you expect, which may mean I've impressed you twice as much as you wanted. But whatever, it's been a good year for us. You, you've welcomed our family. You've loved us. We've broken bread together. We have worshipped together. Gotten to know one another through different church projects and. I've uh, been through some good things together, some hard things together, and so this is a natural day for us, I think, to, to think about where we've been and where we're going as a church family. So where have we been? Before we read our text today, I want to briefly talk about where we've been over the past year as a church. I don't know how you would describe the last year uh, in the life of our church, but if I would describe the last year in the life of our church with one word, it would be the word crazy. Now, crazy is not always bad. 
Sometimes crazy can be a lot of fun. But crazy is just always crazy, isn't it? Uh, crazy is always interesting, but it's just crazy. And if you don't believe that the last year in the life of our church has had some crazy moments, and I've got two words for you, Robert Lott. <laughs> because that, that just kind of set the pace, didn't it? Uh, but this past year, I don't know if you thought about this, but in the last 365 calendar days at Sharon Heights, you have welcomed a new pastor. You have hired a new youth pastor. Your children's pastor has retired, and we are in the process of bringing somebody on there. And we thought we were going to be hiring a worship pastor today, but since things are crazy, that fell through, and we're going to be beginning that search. Things are just crazy. But you have weathered all of those crazy challenges so well and so gracious that you almost wouldn't know it's been crazy around here because of what God has done through you. Over the past year, we have seen the Lord, as is the case in every church, I'm sure. We've seen the Lord take some people to heaven that we're going to miss dearly. Some people that, that left a, a legacy in this church that will be felt, felt for a long, long time. This past year, it's amazing. Just It's a simple thing, but it's an awesome thing. This last year, we sent some people on their very first overseas mission trip. Or at least our foreign mission trip. Uh, we flew over the ocean a little way. So, the first overseas mission trip. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Some of us came back with our very first bout with E. coli from that trip. Um, that was a lot of fun. Here's, here's a cool fact. 365 years ago, today, Sharon Heights Baptist Church was in debt. Right now, Sharon Heights Baptist Church is debt-free. That's a, cool, that's, a, that's a great thing, isn't it? That's a great thing. For me, the highlight of the year, the highlight of the year was our Easter Sunday morning service. Wasn't it awesome to come into church and not have anywhere to see it? And to tell people that are still coming in, uh, we don't know where we're going to put y'all, sorry. <laughs> that, is a, that is an amazing, an amazing thing. And y'all getting pretty close to it today. Uh, so this, that's great, man. But the big question before us is not where we've been. We have an understanding of where we have been. We want to know what's the future. What does the future of our church look like? Now, I could come in here today and give you uh, all of my ideas for our church. But I'll tell you two things about my ideas. Number one, they're not that great. Number two, they'd make half of you mad. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> What would be much more helpful for us today is to look into the pages of the Word of God and see what God expects uh, from our church. What is, what is God's vision for our church? And I want to do that today from John 17 in a place where Jesus is praying for His church. And I would say it to us this way, that our goal as a church should be, it should always be, and it really should only ever be, to be the kind of church that Jesus is praying for. Like, if we do that, then we've got it right. And I want to just hit those highlights for you today in John 17. If you found your place, I'll ask you to stand. Let's reverence God's Word and honor His Word. John chapter 17 and verse number 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, and we're just going to try and jump through some of the major points as we go today. The Bible says that when Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life. This is what it means to, to have eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. 
and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. They are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. You can be seated, and I trust the Lord will help us this morning. John chapter 17 is an intimate and truly an awesome passage of Scripture. The content of this prayer that Jesus prays is so sacred that in some ways it's almost embarrassing to to read it because we feel like we're eavesdropping on something so holy that we don't have any business here in John chapter 17. But even as we feel that way, the truth is we do have business here because Jesus is praying about us. He's praying about His followers. And then He says very specifically in verse 20, I'm not just praying for these disciples that are following me, but for those throughout the years including us, who will believe because of their faithful testimony of me. Now, here in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Just a few hours earlier, he has taken the Last Supper with his disciples, and now he's going to Gethsemane where he will pray and sweat great drops of blood over the agony of the cross that awaits him. And while he's there, he will be betrayed by one of his own followers, Judas Iscariot, and he will be arrested. He will go into a series of false trials, and before 24 hours are over, Jesus will be crucified and dead. And yet Jesus is here taking time to pray to God, to ask for blessings on his followers. And in some ways, this is a microcosm of what Jesus came to do, isn't it? Jesus came into this world to take us into the presence of God. And here we get to walk with him and eavesdrop as he goes into the presence of God. But today what I'm going to try and do is skip over all of the crucial theological portions of this chapter, which is about killing me, and look at the specific things that Jesus asked God to do in and for and with and through His people. And really, I think there's no greater place to think about what God wants us to want in our church and what God wants us to pray for in our church and what God wants us to seek and long for in our church than this text where Jesus says, God, here's how I am praying for my church. Sharon Heights, 
If we could take a poll, if we could do some kind of graph and put it up here before you today, every one of us, every one of us has different expectations, different plans, different visions and goals for our church, don't we? Because we're all different. We're all different sorts of people with different ideas and different hopes and different ambitions. But the one thing that we should all agree on this morning, and you can go ahead and get a good amen ready here, is we should all long to be the kind of church that Jesus prayed for. That's what we should long to be doing. And so what kind of church is Jesus praying for? Well, if we summarize it in short, I think we could say that Jesus envisions a church that exists to continue his mission in the world. I say that in verse number 18. Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He expands on that in verse number 20 when he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their name. Jesus viewed himself as a missionary who came into this world with a purpose. He came from the heart of a missionary God and he forms a missionary people who continue his mission. In fact, the word mission or missionary comes from the Latin word missio, which is the Latin word for sent. And Jesus uses that word in verse number 18. He says, I am a sent Savior who forms a sending people. And you know that as God's people, we are a sent people. I hope you see it plainly right there, that we are sent to do the same thing that Jesus did, which is proclaim salvation through repentance and faith in Christ. Jesus would say it this way in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18. These verses you know so well that pastors love to beat you over the head with. That Jesus came and said to his disciples, this same group of guys, just a few weeks after John 17, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, even, he said, to the end of the age, or to the very end of the world. That is the, the singular and non-negotiable mission of the church. And it does not matter where that church exists. It does not matter what the name of that church is. It does not matter what denomination the church is. It does not even matter when that church existed. This is the purpose of every single Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, God-fearing congregation. That's what God has put us here to do. So what does the church exist to do? We could say it in a lot of ways, couldn't we? We could say the church exists to make disciples, which is true. We could say that the church exists to share Jesus. That's true. The church exists to know Jesus and to make him known. That's true. But here's how I want to say it to you today, and you're going to hear it until you're sick of hearing it. So go ahead and get ready. Sharon Heights Baptist Church, we exist to share life. That's what we exist to do. We exist to share life. But what does it mean for us to do that? How does that look in the life of our church with the way we spend our money, the way we make our plans, the things we want to accomplish? Well, I want to show you that today by analyzing John 17, looking at Jesus' prayer and showing you, I believe, four ways or four expressions of the life that we share. And the first one is this. We share life by enjoying God. We share life by enjoying God. Jesus prays in this text, and it's so clear, that he understands the reason he came into this world was so that people could have eternal life. But he defines eternal life in verse number 3, that eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus whom he sent. So that we would say eternal life is synonymous with having a relationship with God. Do you agree to that? And so I would say to you this way, I told this to our deacons, prepping them for what I was going to say to you today. I told them a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure you would agree, and I hope you understand that no matter what you do in your life, no matter what you do with your life, 
No matter how you spend your life, even if you waste your life, you are not living unless you know Jesus. Period. And Jesus seems to be saying that to us here, that unless you know me, you do not have real life. Then he says in verse number 13, he prays that his followers would have his joy. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That my, he says, God, give my people the very same kind of joy that I have right now. That means that if somebody is really experiencing life, then they have experienced the life that God offers His people in Christ. That they have responded to God in the offer of the gospel, turned from their sins and put their faith in Jesus. Which means that all of us that Sharon Heights that believe that, which I hope is all of us, that we should see that as foundational to who we are. We should see that as foundational to why we're here. And we should want that for every single person in this world. Whether that person lives in Las Mercedes, Guatemala, whether they live in Brookside, Alabama, whether they live in Hoover or Homewood or Graysville or Fultondale or points in between or points unknown. We should have that burden that everybody that we possibly can tell, we want to see them enjoy God and know Him. Now, listen to that very carefully. We think very often about God as somebody to obey, and we should. We think about God as somebody to serve, and we should. But how many of you and how many people that you know really think about God as somebody to enjoy? We don't enjoy God much, do we? We don't think about Him as somebody to enjoy. And why don't we enjoy God? The reason we don't enjoy God is because we don't know who He really is. We don't know Him. We see Him as a bill collector. We see Him as a rule giver. We see Him as somebody to get the things we really do enjoy. But we don't see God as somebody to enjoy. Friend, I want you to know today that if the gospel ever becomes clear to you, if you really see the lens that God took in Jesus so that He could know you, if you really get that, then you're going to want to know Him and enjoy Him and bring glory to Him. That's why right out of the gate, starting off our new year, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we are going to begin a six-week study of the book of Galatians that I'm calling It's Not About Religion. And if you've seen our church bus or you've seen our church signs, then you have seen that that slogan or whatever on our materials. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Why? Because the last thing in the world I want you to do is become more religious. What I want you to do is learn how to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, so we're going to start that next Sunday. We're going to have homecoming October the 6th. Uh, Brother Billy Hatley will be preaching, and there are probably going to be some babies born in there somewhere. So um, that may kind of disrupt the schedule a little bit. But the bottom line is you're going to understand in Galatians that religious people use God. But people that know Jesus, they enjoy God. And we want people to enjoy Him. And the only way we're going to ever enjoy God is when we are clear about the gospel. When we know what He did for us. When we know that everything in our lives is built upon Jesus. Everything in our church is built upon Jesus. That everything about who we are is downstream from our understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. But going further, if we really want people to enjoy God, we want people to enjoy God when they come into this place to worship. Now, I knew I was preaching this this morning, so I had a little bit of a head start. But didn't it encourage you to watch our choir sing this morning? Just to see people enjoy God. Folks, that's what we're here to do this morning. We're not here today because it's what you do on Sunday morning. We're here today because we want to enjoy God. And we want to bring people with us as we experience the joy of knowing God. Our preaching should be geared so that people enjoy God. 
our singing should be geared so that people enjoy God. Our Sunday school classes, everything that we do should be done so that people enjoy God, which means it's vital for you today that part of the regular weekly rhythm of your life is that you are in worship with God's people where you enjoy God with them. That's vital. That's how God has made you to run. But we want to do more than that. We want to equip you. And we talk more about how we're going to do this, Lord willing, in a second. We want to equip you to enjoy God every day. I want you to enjoy God on Tuesday morning, just like you do on Sunday morning. When you read your Bible, and when you pray, and when you're experiencing His presence. That's why we're starting next Sunday evening a DT class for six weeks. That we'll be offering four different times between now and next spring. That's all about the spiritual disciplines. Brother Brad Eccles and Brother David Bensko, they're going to be teaching that class. And it's all about, there's two weeks on how you read the Bible. There's a week on prayer. There's even a whole week on what you do when you don't feel like being disciplined for the Lord. Every one of you need to take that class. If you haven't signed up for that class, the sign-up sheet's on the other side of that wall. All right? It's going to be a whole lot better than the class Ricky and Keith are teaching because they're going to rip you all to pieces in that class. All right? Just for what it's worth. We share life by enjoying God. I want you to enjoy God every day, and I believe that's what Jesus prayed for. But secondly today, I want to point out in this text that we enjoy life at Sharon Heights by experiencing community. In verse number 23, Jesus says about his people, he says to God, he says, I am in them and you are in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus sees God in him, he sees himself in God, and he sees his people all wrapped up together so that his people are enjoying life together. Did you know that you can't really live life the way God wants you to live it in isolation? You can't. In fact, when God created Adam, he created this perfect dude in the perfect world. And he looked at him and said, man, it ain't good for him to be here by himself. And that's not just because he's a single man running around terrorizing everything. That's because if we are really going to be image bearers of God, we have to exist in relationship with other people. Why? Because God is a trinity who exists in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we are going to experience what it means to give and take and be in relationship, there has to be somebody else for us to be in a relationship with. Look, you don't even exist apart from some kind of relationship. You've got a mom and a dad somewhere. And you came from somewhere. And our lives are relationships. And folks, that's the way it works in church. That's the way it should work in church, through good days and bad days. Honestly, the reason most of you are here at Sharon Heights is because of relationships. In fact, I told our staff, I think it was in our June staff meeting, maybe I can't remember a slept since then, but we had our staff meeting, we were talking about some of these things, and I told them then, I really, really believe, that people come to church for a lot of reasons. People come to church because they like the preacher. People come to church because it's convenient and close to their house. People come to church, you know, to keep their wife quiet. People come to church, literally, for a million different reasons. But the reasons people stay in church is because of relationships. That's why they stay. Every person here probably knows somebody that is in a church that they need to get out of. And the reason that they're there is because those relationships have them glued into that place because those people matter to them. Relationships are the Velcro that make people stick in a church. And we want to make our church a sticky church. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, here's what I'm going to propose to you. I think the primary and best way we can do that is through Sunday morning Sunday school. I really do. Our Sunday school now, as it is, is amazing. We have incredible teachers. I hope you are all involved in a Sunday school class. If not, you need to be somebody say amen. But what I want to see happen to Sunday school is this. I want to see Sunday school become the front door of our church. So that from the very first visit, somebody cannot imagine coming to Sharon Heights without coming to Sunday school. 
I want to see that happen here. And that's going to require a very specific understanding of what Sunday school is for. And that means in part that Sunday school and discipleship training are not going to be serving the same purpose. They're going to have different goals and different visions. And here's what I've been trying to tell everybody. From here on out, our discipleship training, it's going to be content-oriented. It's going to be classes where you go deep and you learn, all right? Doesn't that sound like a lot of fun? That was a great sales pitch. You're going to sit in class and learn. Hope you enjoy it. Um, We want discipleship training to be content-oriented. But I want to see Sunday school become community-oriented. This connection's oriented. That's where you get to know people. Because our church, just the size that we are, we're just a little bit too big for you to know everybody. Do you have any of those awkward situations here at church where you run into somebody, maybe going to the bathroom or whatever, and you about knock them down on the bathroom door, and it's somebody that you know goes to church here, but you don't really know their name because they sit on the other side of the church? You ever have that happen? We're just, yeah, me too. We're just a little bit, we're just a little bit too big for you to really know everybody. But... Everybody needs to know somebody. And it's in Sunday school where all you somebodies can get to know one another. So that'll be hopefully an effective launch date of of a new and improved Sunday school this time next year, which means we'll be working on it over the next year. I hope that our people, I hope that you would, if you have a challenge in your life, a real struggle, that it's those people that you're sharing life with in Sunday school, those people you reach out to, that you have... 10 or 12 people in a class that are walking you through that, that are praying for you. And some of you already do, and that's awesome. And the other classes, we want to learn from those classes that are doing well. But I want to see those people taking care of one another, praying for one another. We have got some training lined up that is going to help us have the best, I think we probably already do, but we will have the best Bible teachers in the state of Alabama, if not the southeast. I don't know if there are any Christians outside the southeast, but in the southeast, we will have the best Bible teachers here at Sharon Heights. And this is a vision that we want to see work into our youth as well. Brother Corey and I have talked about this, and I'm so thankful for his heart that understands the youth group are not segregated to, to, to the kiddie table while the rest of us have big church. All right? In fact, from now on, if you use the expression big church, we're going to treat that like a cuss jar around here, and we're going to find you 100 bucks and give it to missions. All right? And I want to hear you say that because we are all in the same pool. We are all Sharon Heights Baptist Church. And we want to have opportunities for those kids that are maturing in their relationship with the Lord, for them to be discipled as they... We already had that, them teaching in children's Sunday school classes, which is an amazing thing. Brother Oscar and Miss Angie have come to me and asked about some of those older kids serving with the children's church. I think that is an amazing opportunity to let them know, listen, you are here, you are gifted, you are saved, you matter. We want to put you to work. We want to put you to work. We share life by experiencing community. Third, we share life by encouraging others. Now, this is the opposite side of the same coin, but Jesus prays in verse 20 and 21. As he says, I don't just pray for these only, not just the disciples, but for those who will hear the word through them. And then he says that they would all be one. They would all be one. They would be sharing life together, experiencing community, and that those disciples would take what they've heard and they would use it to bless and to help somebody else. God's people share life not just by coming to consume religious culture, not just by coming in and enjoying everything the church offers in all of its schedules, but religious, but God's people share life by actually trying to bless others and encourage them and help them and be there for them and pray for them, encourage them. The worst thing that could ever happen to Sharon Heights has already happened to some of your hearts and you don't know it. And the worst thing that could ever happen here is that we start to think about our church 
as a place where we come to be satisfied as if we are customers. And we think the church just offers a product, and that product has to meet my taste, or I'm going to go somewhere where they have a better product. And that's the way a lot of us think about church, isn't it? God does not want you to be a consumer. He wants you to be a contributor. Look, I've read the Bible, and, and the Bible says that every one of us as God's people have some kind of spiritual gift that's important for the body. God has gifted each of us for the good of all of us. And we want to find those gifts and release them and see you become a people who are serving one another, not just enjoying the things that you get. Now, I hope you come and get a blessing, but I want you to be a blessing too. Then you're going to find out how much more there is to walk with God as you are able to be who God has called you to be in the lives of other people. And part of encouraging other people and using the things that we have been given means giving generously. I believe that every disciple should be somebody that's giving generously. And... And we we had, I'm going to tell you all this, you're not going to believe it because I didn't believe it at first. We're having a missions meeting uh, just, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. And we're talking about some upcoming missions opportunities in our church. And we talked about the last year or so in our church. And for everything that our church budgets to give to missions, both uh, home missions and foreign missions, and for everything that you give and love offering and other opportunities, the way you send teams to Guatemala and the way you do all of these different things, our church, with our size and our budget, last year we gave probably over $100,000 to missions. And, amen. And I want, I, want you to, I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. That is not just incredible. That is impossible. I mean that. That cannot happen unless God does it through you. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, and we give all the glory to God. Because, look, none of us have that kind of money, right? I mean, we give all the glory to God, all the glory and praise to Him. But here's the truth. The truth is that all of us aren't there yet. Because some of us have made bad financial decisions and we're trying to dig out of them. Some of us have been through struggles and we don't have it to give and don't feel like we do. We want to see you in on those blessings of being able to give for the good of the gospel. And even though for all the things we're doing right, there's still more to do. We all know that. And we're excited about a potential missionary opportunity with an organization called Compassion International, which exists to bring children in other countries out of poverty. And hopefully getting ready to roll that out in the next few months. And y'all are going to go wild for it, I promise. I can't wait. I could talk to you for an hour about that right now. But uh, I better just move on because we're going to be getting hungry. But we believe you should share life by encouraging one another, using how you've been gifted to gift others. Finally today, I'll say this, and then I'm going to finish up with some some priorities for myself for the next year, and then some goals I hope we can reach together. Um, We exist to share life, and we share life by exalting Christ. The goal in everything Jesus prays for in John chapter 17 is that people in the world would see his people, and they would see Jesus in his people, And so they would realize through his people that Jesus really is who he said he was and can do what he said. In fact, Jesus specifically prays. He said, I am not praying for them to leave the world. Now, how that messes with your view of the end times, I'll let you figure that out. But that's what Jesus says. He said, Lord, leave them here and let people see me in them so they believe and give you glory and are saved. I believe God wants us to be a church that is faithful in proclaiming the gospel. And I believe we are in many ways. But again, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on an organizational level. Now, right now, on um, Thursday nights, in fact, we're starting back this Thursday, our church has a visitation program. 
And we meet at around 6. We actually meet around 5.30 for supper. And if you are coming to eat, Miss Ellen said you need to sign up. Sign up sheet out here. Sign up so she'll know how much food to buy so you don't go out hungry. All right? We meet and we go out and we share the gospel. But what happens so many times uh, in churches is that our focus uh, starts to kind of drift towards the people we already know. And not merely the people that know the Lord. So we go and visit each other, which is fine. But we need to visit people that don't know Jesus. Now, here's the thing about it, all right? I want all of y'all to be here Thursday night to go with us on visitation. I do. But I also understand that that's not realistic for everybody. It's not convenient for everybody. If I'm going to be totally upfront with you, it's not convenient for me either. Because I'm already away from my family all day Sunday and all day Wednesday. And if I'm away from them all day Thursday, then that means three out of four days I don't see my babies. And that ain't good, all right? So it don't work well for me either. But I do it because I want to be active in reaching my community for Jesus. I know some of our seniors, uh, it's not workable for you because you don't want to be out late after dark. I get that. And so hopefully what I want to see us do, it's in my heart to see us have more opportunities through the week where you can come and where you can go. And if Thursday night don't work for you, maybe Saturday morning would. If Saturday morning don't work for you, my goodness, I don't care if you're out at Thursday morning at 3 o'clock. It don't matter to me. But I want you to go. But I also know this, that not everybody's gifts and temperaments are wired up to go and knock on a stranger's door and tell them about Jesus, are they? Now, we try to force people to do that, and it's probably good for you to do it, and it's good for people that you do do it, but that's not everybody. Now, look, I'm going to pick on them for a minute, but Brother Ricky, Brother Michael Boisel, I could tell them right now, look, there's a bunch of skinheads down here cooking meth, and you need to go give them some tracks and tell them about Jesus. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go, because they ain't got any more sense than just to go. <laughs> but for some of us... We might feel more comfortable. You know, let's stay back here and let's pray for y'all while y'all go. And wouldn't it be something if we had that kind of system and that kind of organization in place for our visitation opportunities where we had people praying and interceding and people sending cards to our first-time visitors and saying, thank you for being here. We want to get to know you better. Hopefully there are going to be some, some door hanger projects where you can be in the community and want to talk to anybody. That will be a blessing for some of our introverts and some prayer walks and that kind of thing. And yet, while we want to be institutionally and organizationally focused on outreach, the truth is, about our church, and I think about any church, the people we are most likely to reach really aren't the people that we might just kind of run into at the Dollar General, or the people that may just happen to show up at church. The people we are most likely to reach are the people you already have relationships with, the people that you see 40 hours a week at work. Or the people that are in your family. Or the people that, you know, are around you in your circle of life. Your neighbors and so forth and all that kind of thing. Those are the, that's our mission field. Those are the people that God has already given us a relationship with. And we should be leveraging that relationship He has given us for the sake of the gospel. And so here's how I want to see us do that. You remember back at Easter we did that push called um, Who's Your One? Well, we're going to do that again, but not just for getting people here in church on Easter. I don't know if y'all invited that many people on Easter, which is awesome if you did, or if they just felt guilty about not coming to church on Easter and they showed up. Either way, God blessed our prayer and God blessed our effort, and I thank Him for that. But what what I want to see us do is is take that idea and really bury it deep in our culture as a church. That for every single one of you here today, you have one person, at least one person, but at least one person, that you want to see God change their life. You want to see them worshiping Him. You want to see them walking with Him. You want to see them in church serving Him. You want to see them come to know Jesus. You have one person, don't you, that you want to see know the Lord. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to give you those cards again, write their names down again, and we're going to be praying for them throughout this year. We're going to be reminding you in Sunday school. We've even got some bracelets we're going to hand out that say, who's your one on them to remind you of the opportunity to go and share that God has given you. So who is your one? For some of you, it's, it's a spouse. And wouldn't it be something if all God's people for the next year were praying for that husband? Wouldn't it be something if all next year God's people were praying for your kids? For me, it's my next door neighbor and his wife and a little boy. And y'all going to be praying for him in your Sunday school classes, in different opportunities. And I believe God's going to do a work in his life. And I look forward to seeing that so much so that I am going to be teaching a DT class starting next Sunday night, giving you some really simple, hands-on, practical evangelism training that if you want to share the gospel, then you need to sign up for the class that I'm teaching, the Three Circles Evangelism Tool. Now, I ain't going to preach it, y'all. But we had our DT kickoff last night, or last Sunday night. And y'all responded in an amazing way. These classes are going to be huge. I know you're excited about coming and learning. But for whatever reason, none of y'all signed up for my class. <laughs> Look, Ricky, seriously, Ricky came up here last week and said, I'm going to yell at you about how terrible of a church member you are and you're going to hate it. And like 30 of y'all signed up for his class. I had two people sign up for my class. And I'm not saying that you need to leave another class and sign up for there, you know, my class, I'm just saying I'm going to preach a funeral one day. So, um, <laughs> no, you'll, you'll, get, you'll, get, you'll get there eventually, Ed, because I want, I want every one of you, whether you're going to go spend your day tomorrow in a high school, whether you're going to go spend your day tomorrow in a job site or an office or a senior center, I want you to be able to go knowing that you can take the gospel with you when God gives you those opportunities. I really do. And so I believe that we need to focus on that. And I also believe from my heart that there are a couple things we need to think about in regards to our Sunday morning worship services. Because face it, we are in the South, and people think about going to church on Sunday morning. And we need to make sure we're doing everything that we can on Sunday morning to be welcoming to people that aren't regularly in church and making sure that um, they are clearly hearing the gospel in an environment that makes as much sense to them as possible. Now, with that being said, I want to give you three priorities that I'm going to kind of um, be ministering out of God willing over the next year. You need to know about these. Here they are. The first is I want us to develop a clear discipleship pathway. That's what we're trying to do in our discipleship training time. We're trying to say to everybody, if you've been saved for 10 minutes or if you've been a deacon here for 90 years, we want to be able to say to you, here's the next step. And what we've tried to do is we've tried to back up from that and say, what are the marks of a faithful disciple of Jesus? We talked about that last Sunday night. And I thought, I tried to do and pray about and think about over the past few months is this question. What are the things that are true about somebody who's following Jesus? You know, when things are going well, all of the time in every case. And here's, here's what I believe is true about disciples of Jesus. Number one, they, they possess gospel clarity. What I mean is they know the gospel, what it, what it is, and why it matters to them in their everyday life. They possess gospel clarity. They read the Bible daily. Yeah, all of us have a bad day, and we miss it sometimes, but for the most part, they're in the Word of God in a meaningful way every day. Next, third, they pray passionately. They're seeking the Lord in prayer, and they're regularly communicating with Him. Jesus says eternal life is knowing God, and if you know somebody, you're going to talk to them. And so a faithful disciple is somebody who prays regularly, but they worship freely. They are in church regularly, exalting God with God's people. But they're not just coming to enjoy a service, but they also serve faithfully. 
they are doing their part to contribute in the way God has wired them to contribute. And they fellowship, they fellowship with those other believers. They fellowship regularly with other believers. And they do give generously, like I said a moment ago. It's more blessed to give than to receive, Jesus said. And they're participating in that to the degree that God has blessed them. And finally, a faithful disciple is somebody that shares the gospel regularly. There's somebody who's regularly sharing what Jesus has done in their life. And what we want to be able to say is we want to take those goals and put them into our disciple-making process as a church and say to you, look, here's the next step. So we are offering a class uh, this time about gospel clarity. Brother Keith Pickle is teaching that class, the great big story, and that that material, it is fire. I'm telling you all, it is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Since nobody signed up for my class and I've heard about it, I may just quit and go to his class, all right? And it's going to be six weeks taking you into the deep story of the Bible that talks about God, our Creator, God, our Judge, Christ and His death, the resurrection, how we respond to it, and how we share it with others. And then what I hope to be able to do next year is come back and go even deeper in those things. And say, what is the big story, say, of the Old Testament? Spend 12 weeks going through the Old Testament. And then eventually get to the place where you spend, you know, a whole year going through Leviticus. So you know, maybe not, but, you know, where you really are deep into the Word. That's my first priority. The second priority is a priority of high expectations. Listen to me very carefully. Sharon Heights Baptist Church is going to be a high expectation church. This is not going to be a place for you to coast. Whether you're on staff, thank you, brother. Whether you're on staff, whether you're a volunteer, whether you are a member, this is going to be a place where you know who you are accountable to. You know what you are expected to do. So I'm going to tell you all this right now because I love you, all right? And while we're still cool with each other. Some of y'all been doing stuff a long time here. You've been in positions for a long time and you're coasting. And you know it. And everybody else in the church knows it. You're not going to be coasting anymore. All right, it's time to get serious and get invested and to be involved. So this is your friendly warning that this time next year, you're not going to like me anymore. All right, now you know, now you know. And I hope you see this as a very, very positive thing, because here's the truth. It would be good for some of you to write this down and think about it in every area of your life. Here's the truth about you. People who don't expect much from you, don't expect much from you. If somebody doesn't expect much from you, it's because they don't expect much from you. But when somebody expects a lot from you, it's because they know you're capable of doing a lot. And we want to do everything we are capable of doing for the sake of Jesus. So the next year, I hope to see us raise our membership standard. The days, the days of churches, folks, having 200 in worship attendance and 700 members, that's, that's over. I mean, that's over. I mean, you know, I've, I've pastored people for the last year I've never met. That's not good for them or good for our church. That needs to change. When somebody joins Sharon Heights, by God's grace, we're going to put in their hands a membership covenant where they come before our congregation and they say to us, here's what I know I'm expected to do as a member. And here's what I know our church expects of me. And here's what I know I can expect from my church. And so that then if there's ever an issue with that, we can come to them and say, look here, on September the 8th, 2019, you joined our church and said you was going to do this and nobody's seen you in the last three years. What's going on? What's the problem? For staff, I'll tell you the same thing. For our volunteers, I want you to understand we want to train you and equip you and release you and see you do the very, very best that you can for the sake of Jesus. The third priority is developing an outward focus. Now, folks, I know there's been a lot of hurt in our church, 
And when that happens, it's normal for you to start to look inward and to heal. That's normal and natural. But eventually, you can get to the place where you're just looking inward and picking at scabs. When God has called us to go share the gospel to a world that needs it. When you grieve, it doesn't feel like you need to get busy and do things. Sometimes getting busy is the best thing you can do with your grief. So what are the goals what are the goals that we would have? Well, I've already given you about three of them. One of them is Revitalize DT, which we're working on right now, and which we'll start next Sunday night. And I'm just going to tell you up front, I have enough sense, or I don't have enough sense, depending on that, as the case may be, that if you try something in the life of the church, and people don't support it, and it doesn't work, then you can give it a Christian burial, and you can move on and do something else. So if we invest all this time and energy and effort and say to you over and over and over again, we want you to walk through this discipleship pathway with us at 5 o'clock NDT, and you don't, we're going to kill it and do something else. Just telling you. Just telling you. We want to make sure we're making disciples. And it's not the method that matters. It's the disciple that matters. Work on Sunday school. We've talked about that. Build community in our church. Focus on outreach. Fourth, a real concrete goal I want to give you is um, we're going to work on our bylaws over the next year. Um, there's a way to do that that's relatively painless and easy, but we're running into situations in the life of our church where we're trying to make decisions, and we're running up to, well, what do the bylaws say? Well, we don't know. Let's check the bylaws. Well, that's not the way we've done it. And we've in a business meeting to do it different than the bylaws, but nobody knows exactly what we're doing. <laughs> and so we want to make it painless to actually do things and to serve the Lord. And what, here, here's the way it works in the life of a church. And I'm getting along today, but I'm about done. Um, I'm not preaching tonight, so just, you know, be all right. Um, here's, here's the way it works in the life of the church. Some of y'all didn't think that was funny. <laughs> y'all didn't have breakfast this morning. What happens in the life of the church is you got, you got three ways decisions are made. you got what the Bible says, you got what the bylaws say, and then you've got the way things are actually done. What you want to do is you want to make sure all three of those say the same thing. And if anything goes, you want to make sure you're doing it the way the Word of God says. But you want it to line up. And we want to do that in a way that we get input from you and in a way that makes sure our church has, is protected legally if, God forbid, we ever have any kind of issue like that. I'm going to tell you today, though, as I finish up, that the future at Sharon Heights, I believe, is going to be unlike anything that you could imagine. I really believe that. I can see God changing thousands of lives here. I can see millions of dollars invested in the cause of missions around the world. I can see churches planted. I can see pastors being sent. I can see kids that are growing up right now running around in children's church. I can see them coming before you and saying, God's laid it on my heart to go to this country or to that country. Say, so why, why do you think that's the future for our church? Because it's what Jesus prayed for. It's what Jesus prayed for. And it's time for us as a church, church to start praying with Him. To start investing in the things He prayed for to start working towards what he asked for. To say we want to be a kind, the kind of church that Jesus prayed for. That is sharing life by enjoying God. That is sharing life by experiencing community and encouraging others. Doing life together. And we are a church that is sharing life by proclaiming Jesus. By exalting him out in the world to people that need it so that they can enjoy God. And then as they enjoy God, they can come and be part of our community. And they can serve and use their gifts, and then they can go and share. And so those people they share with, they can enjoy God. And on and on and on it goes until we go to be with Jesus, just like he prayed for. Folks, the future of the church is good. How do I know? Because Jesus prayed for it. He prayed for it. And I believe he's going to do great things here in the church. So now, how do we give an invitation to this? I have no idea. Um, 
But here's what I think we should do today as we finish up. As uh, our musicians come, and guys, I just want y'all to kind of play softly whatever y'all have, have got worked out. If you would like to see your church be a place where people enjoy God, be a place where people experience community, be a place where people encourage one another and use their gifts, and a place where people are learning how to exalt Christ by sharing the gospel. If you want this to be a place that really is sharing life in each of those four ways, if you want this to be the kind of church that Jesus prayed for, I'm just going to ask you to come today to pray to Him and to pray with Him. And to say, Lord, do that here at Sharon Heights. Do that in us. We're standing together today, but some are already coming. I'm going to ask you just to come and say, Lord, do that here. Do that in me. Do that in us. Do that with us. God, we are here. We're putting everything in your hands. And Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do for the sake of Jesus. Thank you.